Yo, 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 this is Tyler. This is Danny. And this is Fried Squirms. We're here to get stoned and talk about horror movies. This week we will be going beyond the Black Rainbow. You know what? No, we're not. We're not going to go beyond the Black Rainbow. We're going to talk about Beyond the Black Rainbow. I'll sit back and uh, view it from afar. We'll be doing some drugs. <laughs> yeah, we will. Not like them. No. But to the drugs we'll be doing, this is the Fried Squirms. We're here to get stoned and talk about horror movies. So let's get to our green hits. Danny, what is this, Jay, that I've started smoking on already awesome. today? Well, coincidentally, as you were saying the title of the film that we're going to review this week, I was thinking, man, this is kind of a color-themed coincidentally, right? You're a fan of the black and silver. Mm-hmm. I brought over some Montana silver oh, tip. Just <laughs> so a tip. Playing on this color theme, right? This is a, a strain we've brought over several times. I know this being one of your favorites, if not your favorite. But for those who do not know, this is a cross of the classic Granddaddy Purple and Super Silver Haze strains. And this one over at Flower, because that's where I picked this up at. The numbers on this, the total cannabinoids are coming in at about 27%. Your total terpenes at about 1.6% with limonene coming in at about 0.65%. Pinene at about 0.44%. Traces of linalool, a little bit of myrcene, a little bit of humulene and caryophyllene to round out the terpenes. But yeah, this is a nice one. Like I said, this is kind of right down the middle. Nice sativa dominant hybrid. Gets you nice and talkative. Nice. I'm, I'm excited. You know, I love the, the silver tip. Uh, mine, I went intentionally, unintentionally, a little bit more black rainbow themed. Okay. I brought in some confetti. Mm. So you have the colors of the rainbow and the confetti, <laughs> right? However, it's an indica dominant hybrid. And at flower, the indica tips are the nice dark purple. Nice. So oh, it's yeah. the black rainbow, right? Yeah, I like it. If it's... Anyway, with confetti, I wish I would have been paying attention to their little standee a little bit more to see what its genetics were, because when you look up confetti online, there's no confetti. Uh. What you run into is either confetti cake or confetti kush. Both are indica-dominant hybrids. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, that doesn't fucking help me. <laughs> so it's theoretically either a cross of cherry pie and secret cookies or something closer to a cross of gelato and birthday cake, which given the strains that they normally have, I'm leaning more towards that. One. That sounds, yeah, more appropriate for over a flower. Either way, total cannabinoids on this one is coming in at, oh, about 26%. Total terpenes at 1.5%. And that terpene profile your top three is going to be beta caryophyllene. Let me see. What am I looking at here? Limonene and linalool. Nice. It shows it here being cinnamony, lemony, and lavendery. I'm not sure. I've, I've smoked a, a couple of them already. I'm not sure if I got any of that, but it was some good buds. So. Hey, no complaints. As always, we want to remind you all, check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash fried squirms at the lowest level you could have been listening to this last week. Middle level, you get those Patreon-only episodes Ooh. that have been real fun so far. Yeah, Ooh, some real good run coming up. I just came off the backbone of one, so... Mm-hmm. I think we were looking at, like, our next 30, Man. and they're all bangers. It's like we were on like fire. Like, for years dude. now. <laughs> you guys are going to be getting good look-back episodes for years. 
because we're super excited for like everything coming up basically <laughs> yeah i was like we don't necessarily have to sift through the trash <laughs> we'll no. let other people do that no apparently early on in our our movie Jeez. watching we were like let's just do all the hits yeah and coincidentally <laughs> too it wasn't like it wasn't necessarily like mainstays per se but amongst the horror community yeah for sure they're hits mm -hmm. So check that out. Highest level access to the Discord. Hit us up. All that good shit. Honestly, I recommend the middle level. Yeah, three bucks a month. Like you're gonna spend that on bullshit anyway. I do that. Yeah, almost every day. But Patreon.com/slash Fried Squirms. Check it out, and let us, I suppose, get into the guts and bolts of Beyond the Black Rainbow. Guts and Bolts. Alright, Guts and Bolts, Beyond the Black Rainbow, who and what went into the making of this film. Spoiler free. <laughs> and I gotta... I wish I would have thought harder about the fact that I'm about to have to say spoiler free setup <laughs> to this movie. I guess it's a... Woman with the ESP is being held captive by a secretive group and it involves the history of that and her escape i mean that's to put it mildly right <laughs> honestly even saying escape might be a spoiler but i don't know what else to say about this movie i mean you did say spoiler free so <laughs> so there's that all right, so, of course, from week to week, we like to talk about our cast and crew. And this week, we've got a really cool director. And it's a guy we've actually talked about before because of an episode <laughs> of GDT, Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities, right, for the viewing segment, which is really fun. And he's also known for directing Mandy. Mm -hmm. Right now, he's also the writer on this film. Our cinematographer is Norm Lee, and they're known for the films Afflicted, Cabin Fever Part 3, which is known as Patient Zero. The film Cuso, which I've actually seen. It oh, was a shit. Shutter, I think, exclusive. I don't know if it still is, but if it is, check it out. It's fucking wild. <laughs> <laughs> and he's also known for helping on the Weekend's Sacrifice music video. Hmm. All right, we have editor Nicholas T. Shepard. They're known for a brony tell. Okay. Yeah, that's exactly what you think it is. Okay. <laughs> All right. Also known for the television series Cabin Trucker from 2015, Timber Kings from 2016 through 17, and Big Timber television show from 2022. All right, the music was composed by Jeremy Schmidt, and his project was known as, like, Sonoya Caves. Gotcha. Right. We have producers Oliver Lindsley and Christian Nordstoke. We have production company Cromwood Productions. The distributors on this were Mongrel Media. They helped with the 2012 Canadian theatrical release and Magnet Releasing, which is an arm of Magnolia Pictures. Mm -hmm. right? They helped with the TV release for the 2012 United States release of this. The release dates on this I have are December 3rd, 2010 at the Whistler Film Festival in Canada and April 22nd, 2011 at the Tribeca Film Festival, which is in New York City. And we have a budget of about $1.1 million. That's about an estimated. And gross, we've talked about this previously, it only grossed 565 k So don't put a lot of credence behind that, probably because of one screening of it in a select theater or a couple theaters, I would imagine. 
Let me right. see if I can't find that. Right yeah, quick. yeah, no problem. Okay, I found it. What do you think its widest release was? Widest release? I'm going to say one theater with three screens. I have. <laughs> I don't have by screen, but no, I do just, have I'm, I'm, uh, five five theaters. Okay. Yeah, that one that makes about sense, mm-hmm. and probably more than likely, except limited run. I'm looking at a uh, eleven weeks total. Okay, maybe but, even just like part. But of it's the not circuit. five theaters the entire eleven weeks. It's mm-hmm. like two, two, four, five, two, three, three, five, four, four, gotcha. three. Interesting. Yeah. Well, there you go. Like I said, it's just very select, but just even, what, five theaters, you said, over 11 mm-hmm. weeks? Yeah, very select. All right. Tagline on this I have is beyond science, beyond sanity, beyond control. So moving into the cast, I'm going to lead off with Michael Rogers, who plays the role of Barry Nile. A few films I've known from him. He was in the film Duets. He was in Children of the Corn Revelation. He was in the film Hellraiser, Hellseeker. He was also part of the television movie The Dead Zone. He was also part of Supernatural television series back in 2007 through 2014. He was also part of Bates Motel back in 2014 and the television show Supergirl from 2017. We have Ava Bourne, who was known as Ava Allen. She plays Elena in the film. A few things I've known from her. She was in the films The Big Year. She was a part of Once Upon a Time television show from 2013 through 2014. And When Calls the Heart, which is a television show from 2015 through 2021. All right, we've got Scott Highlands plays the role of Dr. Mercurio Arborea. A few things I've known from him. He was in the film Earthquake. Some people might know him from Night Heat, which is a television show from 1985 through 1989. He was also part of the Titanic television series from 1996. All right, we've got Mary Norrie, plays the role of Rosemary Nile. A few things I've known from her. She was in The Never Ending Story Part 3. She was in the film Little Women. She was also a part of The Exorcism of Emily Rose. She was in Dance of the Dead segment of Masters of Horror. She was also in Jennifer's Body, the film Horns, and she voiced a character in the BFG. All right, we've got Rondell Reynoldson. She plays the role of Margot. A few things of note from her, she was in the film Floating Away. She was a part of Brotherhood of Murder. Time for me to come home for Christmas. All right, we've got two other actors, and that kind of rounds out our cast and crew. We've got Sarah Stockstad plays the role of Anna Arboria. A few things of note from her, actually the only thing I've got of note from her, she was in the film Autumn in the City. And last but not least, I have Roy Campsoul. He plays the role of the Cynthia Knot. Now... <laughs> Because of that role, kind of like <laughs> Doug Jones. Right. If you see him out of character, you probably won't You're never recognize, recognize him. him. Right, because this is the films he's been in and as these characters, mind you as well. Now, he was in the film Goblin okay. as, the Goblin. as the Goblin. He was in Grave Encounters Part 2. As the Grave? As one of the encounters. <laughs> of the, yeah. <laughs> he was in the ninth passenger as like some creature in that film. Passenger number eight. He also yeah. did stunts in Cabin in the Woods. Oh, shit. Okay. Imagine as one of the creatures. Yeah. <laughs> so that rounds out our cast and crew. You gave us a brief setup. Should give our listeners some warnings. It's trippy. Very psychedelic. I think, too, if you have any kind of, like, problems with seizures or things of that nature. There's some flashing lights. Yeah, it's going gonna, gonna to fuck with you. Is there any actual language in it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah there's yeah, some. There is. There is. Very tiny bit of blood and violence, right? And I mean, gore. There, there are intimations towards like sexual stuff, right? There's illustrated nudity, yes. Although it's arguably more scientific 
scientifically done than right than pornographic if you want to yeah. put it in those terms yeah one of them's on edge yeah 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 one of them's kind of yeah yeah <laughs> teetering that line but still arguably more like I'm diagrammed right than like to titillate right no puns <laughs> <laughs> is that all the warnings we need for this oh yeah i think so for the most part did you mention it gets trippy <laughs> it gets trippy i'm like i mean i mean it it gets trippy <laughs> Man, this guy did mandy yeah I guess with that, let's get into talking about Beyond the Black Rainbow and find out how it made us squeal. How does that make you squeal? All right, start of a new block, Danny. Cosmic horror? This isn't not cosmic horror. Uh, Yeah, I would think if I was going to put a label on this block, yeah, it's cosmic horror. I was thinking, though, like, we intended for this block to be cosmic horror. Right. This movie... It arguably rides the line. It teeters with it. So, I mean, technically, it plays with some themes of... Yeah, and, like, concepts of largerness and such. Right, 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 right. In in the sense that, like, cosmic horror is about... Tends to be about horror being visited upon someone from something far beyond their grasp... And generally beyond their ability to do anything about her kind of being stuck in this place and like suppressed kind of works. Yeah. 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 You know what I mean? It's kind of like the Plato's allegory of the cave is kind of cosmic horror. Right. It's this mind blowing revelation of your true place within the world. Yeah. This is, this is interesting for a lot of different reasons. And, you know, rewatching it after a few years of, after seeing it for the first time, and not really like, you know, sitting back trying to analyze it, it's just more just like a casual view because of Mandy, more so mm-hmm. or less. And first, I can say this I didn't give it its proper attention that it was owed the first time through. So there's definitely some things I'd forgotten in between, you know, this weekend and my first time watching it. I mean, I'm going to tell you something. I didn't give it the proper attention my first time view through, and it was only last night. <laughs> yeah, I understand. No, I take that back. I watched this movie three times. The first two times, I had a hard time paying attention, and it's not, it wasn't quite the movie's fault. I kept putting it on, like, too late. And shit no, like I do that. that sometimes, too. I get it. And just, like, not putting my phone away. <laughs> and it's one of those movies where I didn't quite realize going into it how much you have to pay attention and the movie doesn't quite let you know how much you have to pay attention because the movie's just kind of a vibe. Yeah, it really is. Like you can just ride it out as a vibe too, yeah, if you want. Which I'm not going to lie, like I don't want to I don't want to brag, but you know, I did upgrade my setup for my viewing. I've talked about it a few times. I have the smart bias sliding. Because of the use of color in this movie, wow. it legitimately is just kind of a vibe. I can throw this on in the background and it kind of just makes my entire living room pretty. Yeah, because of what you just said, the the use of the color schemes in this film. Yeah, just because of the way Panos uses color, and because of my lighting setup, it legitimately is just kind of a fucking vibe. (laughs) That's pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's a nice one to just throw on in the background. You don't even have to pay attention. Which is pretty much how I watched this movie the first time, and like half of the second time. (laughs) Yeah, Didn't really pay attention. Even this last time through, when I was having to make notes for it, 
is kind of having a hard time paying attention. Once again, kind of not the fault of the movie. I will blame the movie a little bit for being as slow <laughs> as it is. Yeah. But it's expertly crafted. I don't want to take away from, like, how well it's done. Yeah, I get that. Just, like, it can lull you into a false sense of security, and you look away for a second, and you look back, and you're like, What is what, 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 what did I miss? Yeah. Did, did she just get scannersed? Like, that's my shit. <laughs> no, exactly. And that's kind of what I was getting at. There was some things I was picking up, mainly because we are reviewing it, that I just wasn't, like I said, giving it its proper due the, the very first time I watched it, mainly because that wasn't my intention to begin with. I just wanted to, you know, see what this was the first time through. Um, right. But now, like I said, now knowing what the, I guess the intention of this film is and what he's trying to convey and, you know, his use of his influences and, like, social commentary and then just throwing all this really cool, like, 80s vibes at you. Yeah, super 80s, super 70s as well. Yeah, oh, without a doubt, like, late 70s, early 80s, very aesthetic as far as that goes. So there's a bit of nostalgia for me in that as well because it's like that's something I, I grew up with, you know, to an extent. So it hits you a little bit there too. So my extremely short, like, how did this movie make me squeal is I fucking love it. Like, as much problem as I was have paying attention to it, I fucking love this movie. Yeah, this movie I, is pretty fucking dope. There's a lot of people who I think are looking for, I don't want to say a lot, let me, let me scale that back down. I, I think there's people out there who are looking for something, like, in, in this kind of vibe, you know, there's that retro 80s thing kind of going on, but they're, they're also playing with, like, psychedelia mm -hmm. and, like, these really cool motifs with ESP and all this other stuff that, you know, it entangles with it. Um, so it kind of keeps you intrigued just on that alone. This is one of those movies that, to me, feels like you can see its influences, but it feels like a step up. Oh, and that. not to say anything bad against the influences. The Most of its influences are... Uh, classics and legendary in their own right but like you look at things like 2001 a space odyssey obviously has a lot of influence oh, on this now, yeah. like on the interiors of the institute and the way things are lined up and kubrick just in general <laughs> i feel like has a lot of influence on the way like a lot of shots are lined up and just a lot yeah, of the way know. the visuals play out not so much the psychedelic side but but no you're right aesthetically like you, like you were saying with 2001, and even the scoring, it's kind of reminiscent a little bit of The Shining, like some of those kind but, of motifs. But like Kubrick was busy doing that for ostensibly the first time. I'm sure people were Kubrick-esque leading up into that, and he has his own influences that he would probably admit that he ripped off to, you know, make right, some of the shots it's, that he did. That's the way it happens. Um, but he was too busy being you know, coming up with these original shots that we now all know. This feels like, oh, now everybody knows what this is, so now we can turn it up to 11. Yeah. There was, to piggyback off that, there's a particular scene that involves Barry, the Dr. Barry Nile character, where he's taken what looks like, well, I don't know if it's one of his pills or something like that, but mm. the background starts to melt in mm -hmm. that red, and that's kind of like the what I was getting with The Shining. 
It's like we know yeah. what that is, but is it's cranked up and is done in a psychedelic manner, but it, it's kind of doing the same thing. Exactly, it's kind of doing the same thing. I was trying to think of how I would describe this movie, and it's or it's a love letter to like all these other films, but he's building upon them. Yeah, because it's like, in some ways, it's kind of like if you take the the color harshness and boldness of like Suspiria, mm. but infuse the entire movie with it the way that Barbarian Sound Studio infused that movie with sound. Without a doubt. Or, God, it also reminds, like I said, Kubrick immediately comes to mind, especially once you get towards the end, there's some bits that are very Brian De Palma. Yeah, without a doubt, man. Like, you can feel these influences throughout the film, which is really cool. For me, like I said, because we've reviewed so many films now, you already mentioned Scanners, so there's elements of, like, Cronenberg throughout this film. Mm -hmm. There's... Solaris? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's... (laughs) Oh, so there's a sequence where early on in the film, Elena, she's being led into, quote-unquote, the interrogation room. Now, one of the cool things is you get to see the S-chair design. Oh, yeah. So I did write that down. I mean, it's not that this is, like, super important, but... Werner Patton, if anybody's curious, he's the designer of the infamous or famous S-chair. But more importantly, I think, in terms of cinema and what we're talking about here, is there's a like a computerized voice. It's a special 1183. It's leading her in. It's like, that's, right. that, man, that's THX. THX. Yeah, it's like, come on, man. <laughs> but that's a kind of cool shit. If you know, you know. But if you don't, that's just like, okay, this is kind of neat, whatever. You could say maybe it was like code for month, year, because it is in 1983. But I think it's more tied to the THX. And I, I almost feel like the 1983 is more of a reference to, weirdly, 1984. Right, right. I think he's even said, too, it's kind of like, wouldn't it be neat to kind of set it you know, right before 84? But then you have all these kind of neat little tie-ins with other things that are going on in 1983 in general. Mm-hmm. If, if only to, to make you think about it and the elements mm-hmm. of, like, how control absolutely. is being used in this. Big Brother, all that other mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, absolutely. God, there's a lot of fucking call-outs in this, isn't there? There there really is, man. The more you pay attention to this film, the more you feel it. Also, as well, which is kind of cool, is because this preceded Mandy, you can see, and the viewing, you can see where he's lifting certain scenes in this movie and then transplanting them in others. Mm -hmm. Like, for instance, the drive sequence that Barry has at the end of the film where he's looking over at himself and his his self is talking to him. Mm-hmm. You see that with Nick Cage in the end of... Spoilers. At the, <laughs> the end of Mandy. And in the viewing as well, right. when that whatever creature thing leaves, it's wandering off and like... Uh, was like it? the last shot of this. Right. And I'm like, holy shit, that's kind of cool. But you, you know where it's coming from. I will say, after having now seen all three of those... This has way more in common with the viewing than with Mandy. It really does. Mandy still feels like the odd duck out. Right. And a far more emotional rather than intellectual film. I I agree with that one, too. What what you just said there. It it has, for me, like the elements of a graphic novel Mm -hmm. coming out, you know, to the screen and all that stuff. And he's just kind of like playing in that. It's more dramatic. Yeah, absolutely. Like you were saying, he's cranking it up. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's more of its purpose. 
It still it, has commentary and all that other fun stuff, but and it still has inspiration from the same time period. Like Mandy is very eighties, very yes. grindhousey, which is seventies, eighties. This is just looking more into the, like the sci-fi side mm. of the seventies, eighties, the high cinema side of the seventies, eighties. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a fair assessment. I'm not sure how much of this was meant to be what I'm about to compare it to or if it's just because of how it was talking about big ideas and the notions of utopias but did this feel kind of biblical to you it does i i also i feel like you know the more you you can read on these critiques and things like that too but you can kind of see what he's saying i mean this film if you look at it from who's who were we following he's like there's this young girl that it would seem like she's the protagonist in this film, right? And you have these other people who would quote-unquote be the antagonists. But I think it's more, not necessarily in those terms, I think it's more of a critique on these people in the 60s, right? The psychedelic movement, the flower mm -hmm. child, all that other stuff. They had these good, you know, intentions of creating a world of, you know, like I said, you know, peace and harmony and all this other stuff. But then you also have this convergence of technology and you know, capitalism and all this other stuff that came along with Reaganomic, blah, 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 blah. And I think it's more of a critique on that, right? But you're right. right. It has tie-ins with religious beliefs and motifs and control and all this other stuff. So it, it is. It's mixing a lot of different critiques, not just societal, but like you're saying, religious motifs too. And I feel like maybe, I think it's easy to throw the religion one on there, especially for me because I grew up like going to church. Yeah. Like, and especially once you get into a little bit more, I looked up some stuff on this movie. I didn't write a lot of the, like, more nitty-gritty stuff down. It's super obvious that it's critiquing a lot of the weirder and out-there cult spinoffs of the Flower Child movement. Yeah, absolutely. Like, the, the Arborea Institute's <laughs> mission statement is almost word-for-word word a mission statement from some other cult. Like, yeah, it's, it's um, almost... <laughs> The when she emerges at the end, if you look at the architecture of what she's actually emerging from, it's basically a reference to the well, this wasn't until the early 90s, but the Arizona biodome incident. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. You're right, there's like these sacred geometric patterns and you know, like new age kind of philosophies and, and things of that nature that are interspersed in that because that was kind of like the. <laughs> I, all that stuff, you could, you could say hippy-dippy stuff, whatever. And then you have that, that age of yuppies and, mm -hmm. like I said, just more capitalistic ventures, you know? Said in the 80s, which this film is. So you're crossing these, this, like, generation, this, this group who had good intentions, but now they're... They're, they're past that right? mm -hmm. and it didn't come to fruition so you're you're holding on by this thread and now you've dabbled way too far on the other end of the spectrum in terms of where this black rainbow is going it's like you went from the colored rainbow to this really dark spectrum because you're trying to attain something that's really unattainable like i said i think where i'm pulling like the biblical references are the fact that what all of the extreme hippy dippy spin-offs were trying to do was create these utopias they were essentially trying to create a version of heaven yeah here on but earth, right yeah right in order to attain perfection you have to have complete control 
That's a good point. Which is where most of these fall apart. And I think where a lot of the critique comes from is that it's not a critique of trying to make things better. It's a critique of letting perfection get in the way of that. Yeah. And if things have to be perfect, then you have to eliminate what's not perfect. Right. And if that's the case, you have to eliminate all of us because mm-hmm. <laughs> not one of us is perfect. I think that's kind of a critique on just us as, as human beings in general as well. It's like you can have the best intentions, but underneath it all, if you will, there's still human folly because you know, none of us are perfect. We're going to make mistakes. If you let ego get in the way, if you let somebody have too much control or power or whatever, this is what could happen. This could be the consequence of that. And then there's jealousy. <laughs> you yeah. know? So I'm just saying it kind of perpetuates itself after a while. Mm-hmm. Well, so before we get too far into it, even the logo treatment for this fucking movie is amazing. <laughs> All the of doubled dope, up man. beyond the black rainbow, but like, yeah, it's not exactly flipped. Like some of the words are down below yeah. and some of the letters are flipped I, in the I wrong like spots. Stuff, and man. it's really dope. I like that. I even like the Jafar opening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, hell yeah, dude. But um, it, it's just aesthetically pleasing, like cinematically in terms of the technical aspects of this film. It's like, man, it, it made me think of not just, you know, the, the scene from Scanners with the head explosion and shit like that, but how would you convey ESP somebody who has psychic abilities and are using telekinesis or telepathy in a way that doesn't look hokey. Mm, and I think mm-hmm. the way he did it in this film was like, yeah, he's using like this, this shaking motion, but the way he's doing it on top of the kind of more psychedelic aspect of it, and along with the audio cues, which I brought this term up, which I think I'm starting to get a more hang of, <laughs> is you have diegetic and non-diegetic audio cues, mm-hmm. which... Diegetic are when the characters in the film are hearing Also things. hearing it. Right. But in our case, we're getting the non-diegetic because we're hearing it. Mm-hmm. I don't think necessarily the characters are hearing it themselves in that moment. It's more of an audio cue for us and what's happening. And I think that's a clever use of what he's doing in this film. Otherwise, it could be real shitty. There is one bit. This is one of the interesting... I'm glad you brought that up because there is one bit of audio that I think most listeners don't realize is supposed to be diegetic and the drone is constantly suppressing her yeah yeah you get that that, throughout yeah whenever it turns up obviously she's either sent into one of her attacks or goes unconscious yes but when it goes away you're either not at the institute or towards the end it goes away when she's being let out yeah so that is it's important in terms of, of how it's being used in the film. Like, so, because if it's not being used correctly, it can be real a real turd. <laughs> but because you have people who are, no pun, but, you know, cued in into this kind of stuff and know how. I was reading a little bit, like, uh, Jeremy Schmidt, the composer, you know, of this film, and Panos, they sat down and had a conversation, and they brought up, you know, Kubrick and all these different artists and musicians and they were like, yeah, this is kind of what we're going for. And, you know, this is what you got. And I was like, man, this is this is good because the audio, the score in this film, the sound design in general is super important. Because mm-hmm. without it, it's just, it's not going to be effective. God, 
there's a lot of neat little bits. The first time she has the drone turned up on her and she goes into one of her ESP visions. Yeah. That's the scene that I think feels like should set you up for what kind of movie it is and how you have to pay attention. Because those cartoons she's watching on Mm. the TV are an encapsulation of how she's feeling. That's uh, literally a note I wrote down. I mean, not verbatim, but I was like, there's that scene, yeah, where she's watching the television set. It's like that right there is, it's letting you know how she's feeling. But also... She's trapped. She's being pulled apart. She's... And this is how she's probably viewing the world because this is what's being fed to her, if you will. Mm-hmm. Like, and in terms, it's a, it's a way of brainwashing. And so what she's viewing is all these sad sequences of violence. And then when she thinks that char- that cartoon character because it has that knife and is fighting back, you see her crack that smile, but then you see it get pulled, which, yeah, like you said, if you're really paying attention, it's like there's something that's pulling the strings behind in this case, you know, metaphorically speaking, it's behind closed doors and all that other shit. Which I think, like, it's extremely telling that I don't think it's the exact next thing you see, but within minutes, you see her being viewed on a screen. Yeah. I mean, it, I, what, I, man, what I really find that was... It's, I think it, it can be maybe disconcerting for some people, like it could throw them off, but you have these, like, moments of whether it's audio, visual, like just like trippy stuff going on. And then it just, it cuts, it cues and takes you out of that almost Mm -hmm. immediately and and pans you into like, if you will, reality, (laughs) what's really going on. I think that was really clever too. I really like that. Things keep going on. Like how do, how do we (laughs) want to approach this movie? Like, so that happens. Yeah. He starts fucking with her, being like, "Oh, you might have the picture of your mom." She yeah, I mean, he's it. he's essentially he's just manipulating. So mm-hmm. he he appears to be maybe a sadist, I would think, to some extent. Yeah. So here's where the the biblical aspect of it gets, and we're gonna have to jump around That's the movie okay. some to get to it. But if you're trying to create a utopia, whether and then, like I said, you're basically trying to create heaven. So if you slot in what's his name, Mercurio Arborio. Is that his Arboria, name? Arboria, whatever. Arbor, yeah. <laughs> Old man. If you slot him yeah. in for God. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the drug bot for angels. Gotcha. And homie. Yeah, Dr. Nile. As Lucifer, created by God. Yeah. And then she could either be the Antichrist or Jesus. Yeah, however you want to look at it, yeah. A lot of aspects of this movie still really work. I think so, because it's it's vague. It's not really... It's not one-to-one. No. But the concepts, I feel like, no, are I, all I, there. I, I, I agree with you there, because, like I said, whether you want to read into that or not, you know, it's entirely up to you as the, the viewer, but it's definitely there. But it's it's a weird... Like I said, it's supposed to be a critique of all this, right? So, like... You can't create perfection. No. It basically has the seeds of its own undoing. You have to become a monster in order to continue yeah. to have I, perfection. What, what I think is interesting, too, is it, it for me, I can only speak you know, in terms of how I, I read into it, is it, for me it brings up like the idea of, of like this dichotomous nature, whether it's within ourselves or whatever. You know, like you said, in this case, if you want to attain this utopia... The inverse is you have to turn into that monster to achieve it, which this film kind of conveys, you know. it's 
if you're trying to reach too far into this this knowledge or this this idea of your utopia, you might fuck around and, like you said, you bring out this other end of it that you mm-hmm. weren't trying to reach in the first place. But that is the other end of it, is that you could dabble in that and not even really mean to. Where I'm getting kind of like the, like I guess a version of Lucifer, I don't for right. Homie. I mean metaphorically, yeah. Or you could think of maybe him as the Antichrist. He's some sort of evil figure that was created and allowed to thrive by an uncaring god. Well, I I think the the use of the the name Mercurial itself is Mm -hmm. (laughs) kind of a telltale. So in the flashback, the 1966 sequence, which is wild. I really like that. I feel like that entire sequence can very easily be read as like coming to enlightenment, right? Basically his head explodes or melts upwards. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. It reforms from the vapors of the cosmos. It turns into a glowing being that emerges from the blackness out into the light. Yeah. It's like now it's, personified if you will i suppose Mm -hmm. yeah crawling out of essentially the eye of god itself in that in that scene the void yeah all of that stuff yeah from the void all of this yeah i mean you could see it as an eye the pupil right there in the center but i think there's a couple like really telling things when he comes out he doesn't come out the glowing golden enlightened being oh he comes out still covered in the black, spitting it up. The first thing he does is cry out in pain and confusion. Yeah. Like, he's attained this power, and it's driven him, well, mad, as we realize later. But, like, to it- exclaim himself only in, in fear and, and anger and hurt. Yeah. And then his first act is to creep on what's-her-name and kill her. <laughs> Yeah, and feed off her. You know, it's just like it's very primal. It's almost like primordial in a sense. Yeah, you're coming out of this, like you're, you know, metaphorically and all that other shit. But you're coming out of this, this void in a sense. And like I said, that's, I don't know. It's kind of interesting. It's like a, he's being reborn, mm-hmm. but not in that way where you were saying, like, not in the enlightenment sense. Yes, he has been enlightened, but it's like a whole different being. And it's, that's the thing, it's like, and it's one of the weird critiques of this movie, because if you watch any of his works, it's obvious that Panos has done a lot of drugs himself. Oh, maybe a little bit. But I feel like this is a condemnation of unchallenged revelations from hallucinatory experiences. I think there's a reason why like the stereotype of the like super out there both like hippie and conspiracy theorist both tend to be like burnouts yeah and it's because it's easy to convince yourself that those drug revelations are true if you don't continue to challenge those thoughts once you're outside of that situation that's a good point yeah because you even have to question that with the experience itself and it's not an easy chore but you're right yeah like you can't take that as a gospel if you will it can be i truly believe it can be 
super uh, eye-opening. Yeah, without um, We're finding more and more that hallucinogens are very therapeutic for many reasons, that they've, like, help your brain con- truly actually physically form new connections. Yeah, and yeah, that, that's not even going into, like, just where your brain goes and connections you can make while you're yeah. in those experiences. Yeah, it's... it's like you're right and we've had this disclaimer before it's like neither one of us are experts in those areas but still doesn't mean we haven't like looked Mm -hmm. into it and i I do find all that stuff interesting man like there's even the concept and this this is really not you know within the film itself but if we're going to talk about this kind of stuff it it lends its hand to the idea of where us as a species, humans, mm-hmm. you know, maybe this is how our brains develop past a certain point in our mm-hmm. evolutionary phase where we were experimenting with psychedelics, which gave rise to interpreting visions in the form of art, cave mm-hmm. art more specifically. It's like, well, that's not far-fetched. And for those who are curious, that kind of gets more to like Terrence McKenna and Dennis McKenna's stone ape theory, which, I mean, I'm not opposed to it. I think it's it's more plausible than some other ideas, I think. Mm-hmm. I think the the problem is is once you once you've had those experiences and those revelations, they have to be able to hold up. Oh yeah, just yeah, because you have right. just because you have a revelation doesn't mean it's true. Uh, I totally agree with that. You you do have to play <laughs> no puns, but you have to have to play devil's advocate with yourself in that case. It's like yeah, okay. Why do I feel this way? Why am I interpreting it this way? Why do... Yeah, those kind of things. You, you know, we almost have to go through this like scientific method. And it's one of those... And once again, to, to wrap it back around to like the biblical aspect that I was kind of throwing onto this movie yeah, yeah. is that like one of the reasons I feel like a lot of religions, Christianity in this case, have been able to continue on and flourish is that even though like... As a whole, the Bible's actually kind of shit. It contradicts itself. There's <laughs> right. some really fucked up shit in there. But it continues because, it's like, if you cherry pick, there's a lot of really good shit in there, too. Oh, well, of course. Like, you have to, like say, if you want to be critical and, and, yeah, of course, yeah, there's there's things that you can pull from. It's like, yeah, you can use that in everyday life. Mm-hmm. It's practical, yeah. And there's shit that neutrally can be good and is often used in shitty ways and what it made me think of is like all the different warnings against following false prophets obviously you can use that to control someone into being like anyone who disagrees with what i'm telling you is a false prophet so (laughs) don't listen to them however in the case of this enlightenment scene what if he became his own false prophet that's all it man or that's just the warning of the movie is that just because you had a fucking revelation on acid doesn't mean it's a true revelation. Don't become your own false prophet. That's a good point, man. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like, don't go chasing your own tail and all that other stuff. You know, I think that's a, that's a very solid point you bring up, you know, just because, uh, when I look at it from my own experiences, my Mm -hmm. very limited, but, yeah, I don't come out of it. Like, yeah, I've learned some things, but I don't take them as the gospel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, you even have to question your own interpretations of, of what's going on in that moment or in those moments. And, um, yeah, it's interesting, man. I mean, it brings up these interesting conversations. You know, some people will lean heavy into them. And like I said, uh, <laughs> think it's whatever, this revelation. Uh, and that's I think it can be fine and dandy up to a point. Like you're saying, is like if you lean too heavy into it, like in this case of the film, 
it can give rise to like these cults. Mm-hmm. It can it can even lend itself into occultism, like you were saying, with conspiracy theorism. It, it can lend its hand into a lot of different things. I'm not saying it's it's good and or bad. That's that's subjective, but it can lend its hand into these arenas. Is what I'm getting at. If if people lean too heavy into it, in a way, you can kind of see how they're, they're almost exploiting themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's. I don't know. I I don't want to. It's not funny. It's it's almost like, I don't know, irony. Like come to life in a sense. And you can tie back the sort of becoming your own false prophet, playing yourself sort of thing is the phone wasn't plugged in. Yeah, man, that's so telling. That should let you know where that guy's mind is in the film. That's what I was thinking when he was... It's like this dude, he's fucking paranoid and he's got... Because it's it's self-induced and he, he's talking to... That lets you know his mind. He's, he's out there, dude. Mm-hmm. He's way gone. So on the church angle of it, if you're going from the current modern day... If you're going straight across to something like Christianity, then Christians are still waiting for the second coming. So it's fair of this movie to show that as a God who did this work and then fucked off because he already created heaven. He has his own heaven in his room. Yeah, it's like, dude. In his room, in his drugs, he doesn't need to make sure that everything else is going to plan, except we know that he unleashed Lucifer into the world. Whoops. Which um, he's just letting Nile yeah. run the show now. No, that's that's a very solid point. I think that's a good you know, parallel. And they're create they're trying with Elena. Yeah, you could either see her as like a savior type. As a, yeah, it's either a savior type or like you said or Antichrist or an Antichrist yeah, of some way, kind. Either way, yeah. It's this giant potentiality. That they're trying to control in one way. Mm. Obviously, by the end of the movie, it's up in the air which way she decides to choose. It's ambiguous, but... But she's at least out from under their thumbs by that point. Because I think, once again, the whole idea is, like, it has to be able to hold up on the outside. Yeah. They only rule on the inside. Once she's outside... It's fair game at that point. The power's gone. Yeah, exactly. A lot like the cult... Yeah, you lose the control, like I said. <laughs> but once you're outside that cult, once you break free, exactly. Now the world's your oyster. And I think for groups like that, it's it's a scary revelation once again. It's because, like I said, you're losing control of the situation, the control of that person, and your ideals, and all. Like I said, your sense of utopia and and what have you, and trying to protect somebody under the guise of all these other auspices, you know, all these other false promises and all this other shit. It's no different than religion in that mm-hmm. sense. You know, like in the broad sense. I don't mean like, you know, point for point, but it's hard to argue against that. Like you said, when you look at these characters and what's going on in the film and how things are, are playing out, I think it's really telling too, like when he takes that dip and he's, you could see it, like he's almost going through this hellish, if you will, landscape. I mean, yeah, it's horrific, but he went in to become... A, enlightened if you will and even this version of god i mean it's a, like it's a drawn-on third eye yeah, right he's, it's he's, fake of course he's, of course he's telling him to go in there and get the mother load it's like what do you mean by that exactly yeah you know you have to come out with something right you're it's no like, you're whatever no use to it this is organization unless you come out with something so he comes out a oh, radical 
yeah, I, you, you're right. And <laughs> no puns there too, like right, right wing, but he is a radical. He still has those tenets of what he was taught, but because he's been exposed to this whole different, I don't want to keep using that word enlightenment, but knowledge, if you will, or maybe just like, who knows, this cosmic knowledge. I, I don't know how you want to portray that, but it's so interesting that to, to see how this movie portrays that throughout the course of this film. And that's the thing, like, God, Mercurio, fucks off because he, like I said, he's made his own heaven. He has yeah, heaven. He doesn't right. need, but and he and he has a perfect servant, the drug bot, whatever they're called, the yeah. sense of Sentient Yeah, sentient Drug bot. Yeah, yeah exactly, drug bot. Uh, child's face, which immediately Ooh. made me think of the cherubim. Mm -hmm. uh, now, biblical cherubim don't look like babies, but right, but pop I mean, culture. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and just the innocence. I was thinking that with that with her character too. It's you could see her as more like I hate to say like the the virgin type character, the doctor himself, Nile. <laughs> I think that's kind of funny, man. Like nihilism and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Doctor Nile, he sees her in a certain like purity sense. Because what's the first thing he says to those Heshers when he's Oh, you out? fucked her, didn't you? I mean, come on. Come on, dude. It, she, because she's out now, she's impure, right? Mm -hmm. She's lost her purity because she's outside the circle. That's telling as well. Like, all these things are telling. Well, and it doesn't make a ton of sense the first time you see the diagrams, but it looks like he's setting up a breeding program. I think so. Like, Which, trying to propagate this, whatever, his sense of whatever that's going on. So he's trying to propagate perfection with this, the quote-unquote perfect woman. Yeah, has this ESP. In this, create this fun. utopia with this perfect woman, mm. but through a breeding program. Yeah. So, you... Eugenics. I was just about to say, it's like that. <laughs> and it's and in a sense, it's like trying to make carbon copies of like a Christ-like figure. You know, this this ideal of what perfection is. Mm -hmm. You keep propagating it, keep making copies of it. You know, maybe um, first through, you know, insemination. But then now that you got that copy, now you can. Manipulated, if you will, with DNA. Well, I don't know. I'm just, I'm speculating, but that, whatever, it's there. The blueprint's there. Mm -hmm. And like, that's some Nazi shit. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it. That's that's another thing. What you were saying with idealism and your sense of what utopia is is like, yeah, that's the other. If you look at it like a pendulum, it's like that's another way it swings way too far off center. If you want things to be pure, perfect, you have to get rid of all the undesirables. Precisely. You got to get rid of the quote unquote uglies and like you said, undesirables and etc. So, yeah, it's it's telling. The Heshers. <laughs> Poor I Heshers. Like, well, we, I know we've talked about Hesher before the movie. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is funny because when's the last time we've talked about Heshers? Right. <laughs> it's been a while. With Homie being evil in some sense, Lucifer, bare nihilism. Obviously, he's thinking about setting up a eugenics program and all this other stuff that we've just been talking about. I feel weird with the one being the one to make this connection because I still haven't watched the entire series, but I watched this movie right after I had saw somebody talking about this scene online. It was just pure fucking coincidence and like <laughs> serendipity. Yeah. The scene that leads into 
Barry's unveiling, as it were, his turning into full evil Barry. You have, what was it, Reagan talking about the nukes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the, the defense program. And, all that and the defense yeah. program. And I'm wondering how much the likening of the upping of the nuke count and the defense program is a shout out to the Trinity test in Twin Peaks. Mm. And how that leads straight into the unveiling of evil in this. That's a good point. It wouldn't surprise me, honestly. Like, it would not surprise me. Because once again, David Lynch is going to have an impact on people of our generation. Because that's another scene that has a lot to do with the introduction of evil. Right. That's a solid point, man. It's like when you're tapping into these... Like you said, these these ideas of what defense is, like you said, this you're trying to keep this sense of pride and blah, blah, blah. But like you said, sometimes you have to do it in these very nefarious ways to keep that idea of whatever you're trying to attain, right? Um, also, I listened to the first episode of The Boondocks. Mean, Ronald Reagan's the devil. <laughs> <laughs> Star Wars, right? Yeah. Star Wars program. But what I'm, what I'm really trying to say is it, when you think of, or when I think of it, of it in the the broad sense, I'm like, okay, well, I'm thinking of like the A-bomb, the H-bombs, thinking of nuclear bombs in general. It's like, yeah, you're opening up this whole new reality onto the world, right, that we weren't exposed to before. We know what it can do. We know the destruction now of it. And there's always this imminent threat of it being there now because we've opened it up. It's like opening mm-hmm. Pandora's box in a way, you know, uh, or, you know, the right angle of where you where you know fuck around and find out meets <laughs> you know that kind of stuff so i think it's telling man i think it's very telling in that sense you know like you said he's he's tapping into that kind of stuff opening up this imminent threat now mm-hmm. this danger and then he dies i think like that's we're not so we're not funny. doing a really good job of explaining how this I, is a horror movie but it's a horror movie as well it, i mean it is it is i think it's to me, it's more like sci-fi horror-esque. Mm-hmm. I think it leans more into sci-fi, but, I mean, it's definitely a horror, without a doubt. What what I wanted to ask, because it ties right back in the 80s again, and coincidentally, we, we've reviewed it, and coincidentally, it's a Wes Craven film. I was wondering, do you think, because she had been out in nature at a, you know, I don't know how long she was out there, I'm not saying days, or but maybe a few hours, you know, after her escape, Maybe an hour. Who cares? Mm-hmm. The point being is maybe she was out there long enough to expose herself and get in touch or tapped into nature where she can manipulate nature to get him stuck underneath that little mm. stump he was on. So she manipulated the situation. She turned it on because now she's not in his control. It's a it's an open playing field, <laughs> if you will. And I think maybe maybe she tapped into that. Like right. like swamp thing. <laughs> Well, and I think it's... That's why I was like, ah, maybe. If you want to explain, like, what physically happens in that scene, I think it absolutely could be that a little bit. I also think it's just like... Like, the end of this movie doesn't downplay how dangerous these different societies and cults and stuff could be, because he still gets out and kills the Heshers. Of course, yeah. But they're caught unaware... They're just everyday people just out there doing their shit. Mm. They were always going to get caught unaware anyway if you fucking walk up to them like that in yeah. the middle of the fucking woods while somebody's, it. It really while somebody's fucking hanging the leak. It doesn't matter. That's, yeah, I mean, they, even that's kind of like slasher-esque mm-hmm. in a sense, you know. 
what matters is that the force that they had been, they as in him or whatever organization you want to put onto the Arborea Institute, they worked so hard at oppressing it and keeping it in control all of that time because of the power that it has once it's free. Mm. Kind of just like, I don't know, like the patriarchy. Like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, it it's the same sort of thing. We fucking dudes kept women from voting or having any say in a bunch of different shit for oh, a long time. Yeah. Because once that slips, and this is a good thing for it to slip so that everybody can have a say. Well, of course, yeah. But once it slips, then... Now that they start having a vote, it starts breaking open even more and even more. So they have to keep it shut down, once again, to attain that utopia. In a sense, I'm going to use this metaphor. It's like trying to capture lightning in a bottle. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like it's only good as long as you've got it trapped. But once you let it out, it's like, uh uh-oh. You know, you can't keep trying to encapsulate these things and trap them and confine them and... Like I said, because once you are exposed, it, it reveals all the cracks. And then that's, those are just going to get filled in with other ideas and concepts. And mm-hmm. it could be progressive, it could be regressive. Regardless, it's still going to get filled in with other, like I said, other ventures or whatever. I think that's the telling thing. That, got, that can go for almost anything, you know, conceptually. Now, the fun part with this movie is because of the way it ends. It's like we're talking about all these concepts and stuff. But in the case of this movie, we now also don't know how she's going to react. Yeah, I agree. And so it's almost like the start of an all-new horror movie. I think that's interesting because in a sense, in a sense, it's kind of like... But it could also be the start of her trying to do the right thing because she saw all the ways to do it wrong. Exactly, precisely. We don't know. I think it's ambiguous. I, I want to err towards what you were saying where she's been so repressed right so controlled that she understands what it does and she's not only does she understand because she firsthand experience but she's also seen it you know through media you know Mm -hmm. with the changing of the channel so she knows it happens outside of her own bubble so why would you keep perpetuating that on to unless you have like these very dark sinister i don't think she does but it could also get to a point where she's like no, you guys are fucking it up. I have to make this better. Yeah, I mean, and she, she has the power. She too. could carry that. I mean, quote unquote, the movie carry like Brian yeah. De Palma. She could carry that shit. Which, <laughs> like I said, there's some bits in this that um, are very yeah. De Palma-ish, without a doubt. And she's kind of just like having Carrie under wraps. Yeah, that's kind of. I, I like that, and that's kind of what I was getting. Is, is the more and more you watch this film, the more you can kind of see these. It also made me think of Firestarter. Yeah, it's like all these neat little influences. And it fits because it fits within the realm of, of this decade and the films that he was influenced by. It's, it's obvious when, it's, when you know that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. I don't think it's a disservice to him. I don't think it's a disservice to any of the films that he's paying homage or maybe you know being influenced by. I think it's just a neat way of incorporating those ideas and concepts and then kind of making them your own, but you can still recognize it as a fan. Of, you know, for, for both. I'm a fan of his, and I like b- b- the films that he's influenced by. Yeah. As I sort of started this off with, I, I feel like this is one of those films that is a true step up. Like, if you like all of those other things, yeah. he does it better. Those movie things are still great mm-hmm. because somebody had to invent it. They invented right. it. 
But uh, he takes all of those and does it in ways that they couldn't have thought of. I, I think because they were too busy doing it for the first time. Precisely, and you don't have time when you're literally like who, unless you're super high, like hyper aware. Maybe you're like a prodigy. Who knows? But most people don't. They go in with the intention of like. I'm going to create this whole new way of, I think it's just, it comes as a product or byproduct of, like you said, all these other influences, maybe just the moment that you're in and, and mm -hmm. this is how you have to do it with the equipment and the people and all that other stuff, all these other factors. It's just, just the way it came out. But we, but you're right because now <laughs> for somebody like him, who not only his, his fucking dad was a famous director, you know, but he, he not, has, not quite the same kind of director though. Let's be no, fair. No, 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 His no, dad but, directed Tombstone. Yeah, I mean he had well, like Tombstone, Cobra, and <laughs> yeah, was it Rambo: First Blood? Maybe I think so. Something yeah. like that. So I mean, yeah, it was more like action movie, you know, Macho Man stuff. But I mean, nonetheless, he still had kind of a basic idea of how this shit was mm -hmm. done, you know. So he had a little bit of a technical background, but then being a fan of film and well, his, his mom's an artist, exactly. So you have that as well. So you have like all these different influences, not only within the family, for, but from outside influences too. Like we were just mentioning with all these films, and you know, at some point it's gonna it's gonna flourish, it's gonna show or express itself. And you're right, he saw how they did it, and you can build upon it. He didn't have to do it for the first time. He already had building blocks for him, and he arranged it in his own sequence, mm -hmm. you know, if you will. And I think that's that's telling of someone who's an auteur. It's like, how do you make something that has been done, but you, you make it better? And he does. And I'm curious to see what he does from here on out. Like, if he continues to dabble in this arena, whew, there's some really cool fucking projects, man, that yeah. if people were smart, they'd Get be him throwing on everything him. Lovecraft. That's what I'm saying. People, they need to be throwing him projects. This dude knows, he knows how to do it visually. Yeah. And audibly, technically... And I mean, this was shot on 1.1 million. That's it's not a huge budget either. Well, what were the the other Lovecraft Lovecraft projects that Stanley was supposed to do? I know. Well, here I don't. I, Is I don't, he back on those? I don't know. I don't think so. But I I, I don't really want to say too much, man. I, I want to say it off air with you. But <laughs> from what I understand, there's some stuff going on legally that might exonerate him mm. from what I've read. I don't know how true that is. That's why I don't want to... It's all mm -hmm. speculative at this point. But if if he's not attached to anything that was Lovecraftian, this is the homeboy I want. <laughs> and I mean, as long as he's on board, yeah. of course. Or like, is anyone planning a remake of From Beyond? That's another film I was thinking of. I, I, I'm not, oh, this is very From Beyond-ish, right? That's what I'm saying, man. I don't know why the fuck I didn't say it earlier. But yeah, I was literally thinking that when I watched this film. More so from... Uh, Barry's character. Mm -hmm. yeah, I felt like he was more of that Dr. West character in that sense. Like, he's dabbled way too much and more into this Lovecraftian area. Uh, yeah, this uh, this arena now. Or just, I don't I don't know what. Like, I... It's, there's definitely influence. I mean, there's... There, a, I'm sure there's all sorts of original stories that he could do. I'm... I just don't have... Like, if right, I mention I, an I original story, nobody knows what I'm talking about. You know <laughs> what I mean? But, <laughs> Somebody yeah, needs to I mean, do, well, I don't know, The King in Yellow? There's all kinds of cool shit that he has. There's some cool stuff, man, that's out there. The main thing is, you know, what does he want to do with projects? Does he want to do original? Or, you know, maybe he does want to do these, and he just needs some financing. 
Elijah I'm, Wood. Yeah. I'm talking to you, bud. Right? That'd be dope. <laughs> uh, what, what I'm saying, there's there's a lot of potential there. There's a lot of potential. Can you imagine what it would be like if we had like a TV series headed by him and Fuller? That would be dope as fuck. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> yeah. I, I would like to see him and, and John Avernall work together. Mm, mm-hmm. That would be fucking dope. Just like have a... Kind of like what Del Toro did with his Cabinet of Curiosities. More have it, like, at Lovecraftian theme. Like, yes, there's been plenty of stories that have been, you know, adapted. But not, a, not all of them are good. Annihilation 2 by Panos Cosmos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um, I, yeah, like, I guess making a long story short with him, is like, this dude, he gets it, man, when it comes to how do you convey psychedelic imagery without it being, like... Like you said, too hippy dippy or you know, too cliche. Think of how huge this movie feels, but it's like three or four people in like three rooms. That's crazy, man. I mean, I, I think I, I I think of the viewing more more aptly here because I think you can draw a little bit more <laughs> parallels. But just in like a, a one setting. He, he can do a lot within that the context of that, like tell a pretty grand scheme within just a one, two settings, you know, it doesn't take much. Somebody wants to do a racer head two with <laughs> Panos Cosmatos. Yeah, it's like we're on board. Like regardless, I'm on board for whatever direction he wants to go in. Maybe they need somebody who wants to tap into the next chapter of Hellraiser. Bring yeah. Leviathan with him. Or could you imagine him working with uh, Shinya Tsukamoto? I'm like, dude, I'm all for it as long as others are. It's <laughs> <laughs> you know? so, like, yes, please, please. I'd like to see him maybe carry on some more of Stuart Gordon's works as well, mm-hmm. which is Lovecraftian in, in general. So huh, it's not too far fetched. Him, him and you is not together. Right. Him and Cronenberg's, maybe Brandon Cronenberg, if they mm-hmm. want to go that route. I mean, there's a lot of. I think he opens a door, and that's. I don't think it's a coincidence. Or just by himself, but we're just saying this is right. all I mean, awesome. you know, this is all, of course, us just throwing out our fantasies. But what I thought was cool, I want to go back to this film, is the fact that it was filmed in Canada. They filmed a lot of it at, and I wrote this down, it was really cool, the Bloedel Floral Conservatory. It's in Vancouver. Okay. Right? That's If anybody wants to know, like, the exterior and interior shots were done there. But... Because it's Canadian, he was paying homage, like I said, to Cronenberg with scanners, and I think it was just it was cool use of doing that. And then you know, of course, because it was shot in Canada, you have to use Canadian actors and actresses. But I still thought it was kind of a neat little nod, like, "Hey, I'm going to keep carrying the torch." Not only you know he's not Canadian, but it's like I'm still going to pay my, you know, my mm-hmm. dues or acknowledge people in the genre, and I think he did a pretty good job of doing that. Like, you don't even have to know that, but that's what he did. Yeah. This movie's so fucking dope, dude. I really enjoyed it. I think it's, I think this was a good way to kind of kick off the block. When I was, you know, amongst the, the three films that we're going to do, I was like, this one would be a really good one to just kind of, like, kick our dicks in with. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think there's anything else out. I mean, we could be here all day if we were just talking about the individual visuals. Like, yeah, there's so, so much cool fucking shit. To, like, this... You don't have to pay attention to this movie. You can put it on in the background and just look at it. You won't know what's going on. You might get confused as fuck, but it's going to be pretty. 
No, I agree. If, if I don't want to close this out without at least acknowledging a few things, there's not much, mm-hmm. but just a few things. We know. You mentioned that whole 1966 sequence. I mean, that's pretty obvious. But without even looking at this trivia, the first thing that came to mind for me was that film Begotten. And it's a very high art, art house. I think it was a student film, if I'm not mistaken, but it was by E. Elias uh, Maregi. And it's, I own it. And it's one of those films if, when you start dabbling into like, not obscure, but sought after films and like what is the grossest or most bizarre, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of shit. This film gets brought up a lot. I mean, a fucking lot, a shit ton lot. And I've seen bits and pieces of it. And I'm like, ah, I can't, maybe for the time period, because it came out in like 1990. And so I can see it at like having a, an underground VHS copy getting, you know, recir- recycled or just, you know, handed down and down and down. I can see why that was an influence. And it works conceptually in this film too because of, of the contrast of those black and whites and be just high contrast. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, because that's what he was inspired by that. So I thought that was kind of neat. Like I, I caught that before I even read the trivia on it. And I was like, okay, that was cool. Apparently, I think during this time period, it was noted that he was getting into William S. Burroughs' work. Okay. Which kind of bleeds into this, but he used uh, Benway's Pharmacy as like the the pharmacy that supplies Doctor Barry with his pills. Okay. Now that is a character, a recurring character in William S. Burroughs's works. It's Doctor Benway. I was like, okay, I didn't know that. That was kind of neat. And one other thing I wanted to know, and this doesn't have to do with trivia. It's just if if I look at it like a a moment in this film, I thought was really fucking cool visually outside of that whole vat sequence from 1966 it's probably that first time that you encounter the sentient i thought that whole se- sequence with the synthesizer the visuals the just the oh, whole, that was everything so cool. i was like man this is that so was, fucking I, dope. and then i'm it glad just, you brought that wow. up i can't believe i forgot to that was so fucking cool i'm not everything about that that whole sequence was like uh so 80s <laughs> it's so dope but not only that but just whew, as soon as she gets implanted and you cut from that sequence, then you you pull back and you see it's he's viewing her, he's watching everything. Mm-hmm. So you get a sense of what's happening with with everything that's going on in that moment, but then you're pulled right back out with the lack of sound, a lack of visuals, and I was like, that's that can be off putting, but that's kind of the fucking point. It pulls you right back into reality. So with uh, how we were talking about like different things being in control and this and that and it's kind of cosmic horror because of how it plays with the idea of just being at the mercy of this Uh, larger thing coming at you or around you. You have the after credit shot sentient toy. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, with that, all that you get, I think it's a fair way to interpret that everything that happened in the movie was play things of something that has a larger picture going on. That's, yeah, solid. I kind of, it's almost like... Um, and maybe that's why it let her go? I think maybe, too, like, maybe him throwing in, like, Cheddar Goblin and Mandy was maybe, like, piggybacking off of this a little bit. That mm, concept, mm-hmm. like, still a marketing ploy in there. It's so fucking 80s. Yeah. Just market it. Another 80s shout-out in the credits. You get the, uh, no matter where you go, there you are. Yeah. No, yeah, I, I saw that. That was pretty cool. And then Buck that's, that, yeah, I was like, that's that's probably more apt for you. But it's still pretty dope that they 
you put that in there. Um, I fucking love me some Buckaroo Bonds. Yeah, I it's like, without repeating myself and stumbling over my words, I just, I think this is a really cool film for people who want to dabble into this arena. He calls it trance horror, I think is what he describes it as. If you that want works. to call it that, that works. Vibe horror. Vibe horror. Um, this and Barbarian Sound Studio, oh, wow. vibe horror. It really is, man. I, I like that. I really do like the use. The more I think about it in terms of, technicality and it doesn't always have you don't always have to fucking do this in every film i mean it would be it'd be so fucking boring man but when it's done right i like to acknowledge it I'm, I'm sure you do as well and this film does a really good job of both like i said using the visual cues the audio cues tying them all and all together making them fit thematically and not overdoing it to the point where it comes obnoxious Mm -hmm. You know, it's like Homeboy even has his own theme fucking song when he first walks out. Right. Dr. Barry. I'm like, God damn, he's got his own theme song. The Red. That should let you know he's not a good character. Mm -hmm. I mean, right there, he's visually cueing you and audibly cueing you in. God, I know that we're not going to go into all the visuals because, like oh I said, God. we could be here I all mean, day. But it, I love how many scenes really cool. he's like in the middle distance and it goes out of focus with slightly high oh, contrast and his sunken eyes just look Dude. like these dark holes. Yeah. It's all that stuff. And, and even before you have the revelation no, that his eyes are right. like, you know, something's right. He's a little, he's off. This dude is off, mm -hmm. but he, he does, he does it really cool. And if not clever, but he does a really cool job of letting you know these things. But, uh, I guess the last thing I maybe want to say is the use of, um, I think they used a Panavision camera because they were trying to achieve like that aesthetic feel from the 80s, of course. And if I'm not mistaken, it was a cinematographer, Norman Lee, who was like, yeah, if you want to get this more kind of grainy texture and where you can manipulate these kind of colors, it's like, this is what we need to use. And they did, and huh, glad they did, because, man, it's like, God damn, it looks good. Was uh, this shot on film? 35 millimeters, okay. yeah. Um, and, and to big back off that, this ties back into the 80s is Panos is noted for saying that when he was growing up during this time period, like in the early 80s, and you could go rent movies and whatnot, he said he liked to, I don't know anybody who didn't when you were much younger, and these things existed, but he liked to pick up, you know, horror movies, mm -hmm. box, you know, covers at the video rental stores, and he, he said that he wasn't allowed to rent a lot of them, but he imagined what those films might have been just based off, the exteriors, yeah. And so he said he kind of wanted to imagine, like, you know, the sci-fi horror film that he could not watch, but just based off the cover, mm. this is what he envisioned something like that would have been, you know? Like, it's it's kind of like a, a conglomeration of all those th ideas and thoughts that he had way back when. Like, I, I can relate to an extent. Like, you know, who hasn't picked up something like, but you weren't allowed to rent it? Well, it's funny, too, because the cover art for this movie is straight out of the time period and extremely misleading. <laughs> no, right? It looks like a slasher movie. And that's kind of the cool thing about it. Is like, yeah, just the box art alone conjures up a, an image of what you think it might be. Which, here's the thing, though. It looks like a slasher movie, but its name is Beyond the Black Rainbow. Yeah. A weird-ass name like that <laughs> it sounds implies like a giallo. giallo. <laughs> so. And guess what kind of color schemes this of uses? Of course, yeah, exactly. It's like those technicolor, hyper-technicolor schemes. It's clever, man. And uh, that's what I'm saying. He, he's done his homework. He's a fan, and he's become an auteur all in, all in his lifetime. It's really mm -hmm. cool. I just want to say it again. I love this movie. I think this fucking 
fantastic. For me, three for um, three with him. I mean, three, we haven't yeah, reviewed absolutely. all three, but three for three so far. Absolutely. I'm at, I was going to try to rate between this and Mandy, and I almost feel like, uh, as I kind of pointed out earlier, it's almost apples and oranges. Yeah. This is thinky. That's emotional. I agree with that. Yeah, exactly. I agree with that. And they're different vibes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, don't don't go in expecting, like, same, like you said, emotions, all that other good stuff. Shit, what was next week? Oh, man, this is one I'm kind of excited for. I bought this film a little while back, a couple of years ago, on my visit to South Carolina. Bought it at Best, uh, almost at Best Buy. Bought it at Big Lots. Nice. Shout out to Big Lots. <laughs> but the film we're going to do is The Endless. That's I'm right. I'm really excited about that one. I wanted to say The Calling, and I knew that that was not right. <laughs> it's the something, but yeah. In this case, it's The Endless. The Endless. That's going to be fun. Yeah. We're getting cosmic, bitch. Yeah, we are. It's. It, I think we're really building up to something fun. We've got some plans to round it out, and that's, that's going to be fun. I agree. For this time, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried Squirms, out. Oh. Hi everybody, Tyler here. If you like the podcast, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us, or preferably over on Apple Podcasts, that'd be super cool as the entire world is ran on algorithms and we want to be all up in them. Uh, We highly appreciate it whenever you tell all your friends about us. If you have any suggestions, comments, questions, want us to put eyes on your current independent horror project, you can always contact us, squirmcast at gmail.com, or you can contact us through our website, www.friedsquirms.com. Scroll through our entire back catalog there, or click the links up at the top as we are part of the Earverm Podcast Network, uh, and would love it if you went and checked out some of our sister shows. Uh, The easiest way to keep track of things across the entire network is to go over to that website. That's earverm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. You can search for us across all the social medias. If you type in Fried Squirms, we should be what pops up. Not going to give you all those ats. So, with all of that in mind, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, peace.